Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health Dave for an exclusive 10% off. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Senolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Senolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more, and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code DAVE at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash DAVE. Use code DAVE. Today's cool fact of the day is that Russia is the world's largest country. It spans 6.6 million square miles and nine time zones. Canada, where I live, is the second runner-up. The reason I'm talking about Russia today is that our guest is Bree Schaff, who is on the show to talk about how she was able to stay bulletproof at the 2014 Winter Sochi Olympics. She was the 2010 bobsled Olympian who is transitioning from athlete to commentator and was the NBC skeleton analyst for the 2014 Olympics. I have to say, Bree, I have no idea what skeleton is. At least I didn't until you called <laughs> us and like, oh my God, I like Bulletproof Coffee. Let's talk. So what is skeleton first and all? First of all, just because it's kind of a cool Yeah, uh, skeleton is, yeah, they, it's one of those sports. I mean, the Winter Olympics are just filled with all sorts of crazy, different brands, everyone accusing each other of being more crazy than the other. But skeleton is face first on your belly, on a sled, on the bobsled track. So all the sliding sports are on that same track. 
and depending on what vessel per se that's going to determine how you uh, how you steer and the speed that you go so a skeleton you're face first and you're essentially just steering with your body your body is your sled and it's all about being one with that sled and manipulating the g-force down the track to accelerate so if i think back to calvin and hobbes you know that little <laughs> tiger guy the cartoon um, this is like way worse than when he's riding on his little sled, like flying. I think it's kind of the most terrifying of all the sports. Yeah, well, I mean, think of how much you're hitting five to six G's in each of these turns because a turn is a wall on a bobsled track. So now imagine taking that with your face. <laughs> That's the first thing. Like you hit G-force and you feel it in your body. But for me, I've got a massive head. And so that was part of the reason I transitioned over to bobsled is because my face would get planted in those turns and I couldn't see anything. Not that you really want to see necessarily because you're trying to feel <laughs> for the pressures to steer. But uh, yeah, the times that you can see, it's, it's almost it's not worth it <laughs> wow that sounds terrifying and i want to try it so you can you can park Where? sydney and lake placid both do schools and uh, and we can talk about that later and get you out there this march they're still doing skelly schools and it is so much fun you only go from halfway down so they try and prevent you know people from really damaging themselves because i mean you sign a waiver so whatever <laughs> i am so gonna try this Brie. yes you are yeah. Okay, that just sounds like even more fun than the high-speed downhill mountain biking stuff I used to get into before I got so old. Yeah, then we'll get you <laughs> in the back of a bobsled, and you'll really feel old because that is punishing. Oh, it's, cool. Uh, yeah, it's like uh, it's hard because people always ask, well, what's bobsled like? And you really can't describe it. I mean, if you go watch and you stand next to the track, you can feel a bobsled like a train going by. So when you ride in the back, the brakemen essentially, their hands and their feet are in the same position. So they're bent over, head is between their legs, and they're taking the G-force that way. And it's really like climbing into a washing machine, setting it on spin, kicking it off a cliff, and hitting boulders the whole way down. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to try that. <laughs> no, it's it's quite violent. I've had people say that it's taken them sometimes a week to recover just from a passenger ride off the top of Lake Placid. Oh, wow. I'm so doing it. Yeah. Now, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show is that you're a Bulletproof ambassador, and you actually carried butter and brain octane <laughs> oil yeah. to Russia with you. What happened yeah. at TSA? Because it's uh, kind of funny. <laughs> You know, among other things, but uh, TSA specifically, I brought so much crazy stuff. I, honest to goodness, a checked bag of 50 pounds plus of food that I had made in preparation for the Olympics and not knowing what kind of food was going to be over there, making sure, you know, that everything, I could at least have a solid stash of bulletproof food. But the thing that TSA seemed to take issue with was the, the brick of, of butter that I brought in my bag and I had all these things that I had re I was ready with all the food I made thinking okay I love it enough I can let it go if TSA takes it but uh, the butter was the one thing that had this huge uh, inspection sticker <laughs> on it which uh, I don't know if it's because chances are it might have been because the uh, grass-fed cream that I tried to bring over exploded all over <laughs> everything so I had even more butter really all over my bag from that cream it was uh, but I'd call it a success still, regardless. The butter made it. That was important. And the MCT oil. If that had, if that had broken, I might have cried. <laughs> yeah, MCT oil is strong stuff. And because it's such a short chain, it, it can penetrate plastics. Like putting, oh, yeah. it, putting it in a plastic bottle, I had to be really careful on the science because I found plastic that it sticks to the plastic and just stays there like a protective layer. But most plastics, any fat will eventually break them down. But just the shorter chain fats do it faster. 
Yeah, so. uh, when on my way back, my MCTO actually um, broke, and all the labels on my stuff, it, uh, <laughs> it, it broke the glue bonds yeah. of, of any of the labels. It'll, uh, it'll do that. You ever want to get gum out of your hair, you can use MCT yeah. oil, same kind of thing. Or gum out of your intestines, just drink a bunch of MCT oil. <laughs> yeah, disaster pans. <laughs> yeah. So you made it uh, with your yeah. butter intact to Russia. Now, okay, how many athletes actually bring their own food to the Olympics? You know, it depends on who you talk to. You have, of course, those athletes that are there's, and I have a few of those teammates that are fueled on McDonald's or the, you know, the ones that seem so evolved that they can turn garbage into gold. And yet you have those other athletes that know what a huge part nutrition is to their performance. And so most people at that level know their bodies, you know, just in and out to a T and, and recognize how important it is for nutrition. Cause like you get to the athlete village in Vancouver, you don't know what's going to be there. And so, um, there was quite a few people. The problem is that you're coming off of a full tour, especially in bobsled and skeleton. So you've been in Europe for a couple months. Oh. So, you know, it's a lot of times people, people are having their families ship stuff to them overseas. And, uh, and there was quite a few athletes there to, uh, that were uh, making sure that they stayed bulletproof and brought stuff with them. Um, one of my, uh, Lauren Williams, who ended up winning silver with Alana Myers, she was my brakeman at our Olympic trials this year. And she travels with a Vitamix. <laughs> like not in her carry-on <laughs> well i mean vitamixes are important so i could see why you take that in your carry-on yeah absolutely that's like the thing i miss most when i leave home <laughs> oh wow did you bring a blender like a little stick blender because you were eating so much well, like, so the problem food? that i um the thing i had before so i had two things i had a little frother um, yeah. like a latte frother, but that didn't work as well as this, um, this mug, this bulletproof Contigo mug was yeah. unbelievable. I put in a protein shake shaker it. ball. Yeah. And I would just like shake weight it every morning and it was perfect. I mean, and this thing doesn't spill at all. It's like those old Dairy Queen wow. uh, Blizzard commercials. I, I've never used a shaker ball in mine, but I, I oftentimes on the road, I carry the frother and I carry the bulletproof mug and then I'll shake it in the mug in a hotel room or I'll go to like a Starbucks but like, can I have some hot water to brew my own coffee and then yeah. I'll add my butter and I'll froth it in a little cup but um, the shaker ball does it get better foam that way like it's all it about does the foam. it okay. foams up exactly <laughs> and so then you get to enjoy that little bit of foam and then I'll put the lid on and take it for the day and I actually had one of the Russian security agents at the track because you had to go through security everywhere you went oh, wow. um, for some reason he didn't like my my bulletproof mug like tried to tell me that was illegal but then gave me a business card and said if you send me your thoughts on sochi we'll let you go <laughs> through oh here. how how kind of creepy it is gunmetal yeah. gray the the color it so is. maybe he recognized yeah. it as obviously something that could be ballistic <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And it, it was empty, but I was not about to let that sucker go. I was ready to bargain with anything at that point. You had a unique challenge at, at this Olympics in that yeah. you, you didn't just have to be ready for a competition, but you also had to have your brain on because you were a commentator. So for 12 hours a day, you had to be able to pay attention and talk. And what were the challenges of balancing like the I'm ready to go kick ass at a minute's notice and I have to just be conscious all the time and you know look good and feel good enough <laughs> to at least be coherent how did you do all that like that's yeah for me challenging 
Well, the beauty is I had everything so well honed from athletics that, you know, and, and, and as an athlete, you stick to your routine religiously. Like I know that I have to work hard to sleep because I know how important, you know, I try and get nine hours a night because that is going to make, you know, recovery better. That's such a huge part of it. And so for me, you know, making sure that that same routine of all technology is off two hours before bed, I don't have food in my stomach. Um, even that, I got to try the Bulletproof um, acupressure sleep mat. That thing is awesome. Oh, did you take it with you? Uh, no, I didn't oh, because I, like, I sacrificed food for <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> I, I would take butter before the mat, but I often travel yeah. with both. Okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah, it came down to the tough choices at the end, and I brought food. But uh, it was it was weird because you know my whole career has been about when I, my mental energy as an athlete goes into physical output and paying attention to my body and being so physically aware that at training and at practice, it's all about connecting my mind and my body. And so here I was in a situation where it was all mind. It was all mind and motor mouth. You know, so it was the same kind of high performance zone that I had to find. Um, and you use a lot of sports psych techniques. And for me, like I know it's managing energy and making sure that you're not too amped up, but you're not too low. And so like I know that if I can take a 10 second slow, deep breath before a run or before announcing, I know I'm in the right spot. If I can't, then my, you know, my lungs are clenching up a little bit, then I know I need to stop and really, you know, gather myself so that I'm not expending too much energy, energy in weird directions. Now you follow a low carb, like a ketosis based diet. You're essentially bulletproof. I'm, I'm no one I know is only green all the time. Cause if so, like you're a psycho, but you're greenish on the bulletproof diet. Is that accurate? I'm kind of guessing here. Um, well, greenish being being like on the bulletproof diet, the the higher fat, lower oh. toxin sorts of foods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it started out like, uh, and this is actually part of the cool story of going bulletproof. I had had a hip surgery and really struggled to oh, come wow. back from it. And yeah, mass like labral tear went in, pulled the hip out, um, you know, batten that labrum down, shaved the bone and just had a horrible recovery. And then, and you know, sport got worse. Everything felt like it had bottomed out. And then I had to make a decision that, um, that, you know, to dive back in really to find myself as an athlete and as a person. And one of the first things my trainer did was prescribe a bulletproof diet. And (laughs) yeah, which was huge. I mean, I was all, you know, sad and chubby and soft after surgery. And after five weeks, I had lost about 13 pounds just on fatty coffee and kind of regular run-of-the-mill bulletproof diet. And it wasn't until later that we really started experimenting with ketosis. And that's when things really like started blowing my mind because admittedly sliding sports are like it's semi-concussion every run. Like you're you're beating your head down the hill. And so, and I'd, I've been sliding for 12 years. So for me, there's a fogginess that I was fearing was never going to go away. And after, you know, just a month on the Bulletproof diet, I felt sharper than I had in, since wow. I started sliding. In the keto diet especially is when I finally felt like my old mind, you know, coming back. And I wasn't taking naps anymore. I used to take two to three hour naps during the day. And I found myself just with energy that I almost couldn't contain. And, um, wow. which was great for training, you know. Now, was it, did your trainer say, you know, eat a bulletproof diet or did you say eat a paleo diet? And it's okay. Either answer. No, just... it was bulletproof. Oh, it he, was bulletproof. Like okay. the diagram that we were looking at your diagrams okay. in our handbook. 
Oh, cool. um, you know, everything <laughs> pulled off of your website and, uh, and it was the perfect guideline. And I've always been obsessed with nutrition, especially for performance, because like for me, I wasn't, I came from volleyball. I wasn't made to push a bobsled. You know, I can't squat 400 pounds like some of my teammates can females, by the way. Um, wow. so yeah, so it was all about maximizing. Like I, I got very good at feeling pressures and driving a sled. And then on the other side, physically, I had to just maximize my talent. And, uh, and the diet was a huge part of that. And what was interesting was then the keto experiment, a solid three weeks of no more than 30 grams of carbs a day. Okay. And I stuck to it religiously. And um, it was a really fascinating transition because I'm sprinting every day. I'm lifting every day for roughly five hours total. Wow. And, and it was the strength actually started to fall off a little bit during the strict keto adaptation. But then after the three weeks when we started um, adding in some starchy carbs post lift, that's when things really took off. And it was incredible to see. What was really kind of funny is uh, all of the, as my hormone profile changed and I started losing all the lady fat, it turned out that I'd never actually activated my glutes in my life because my ass just disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) So then it became like this massive butt cheek operation and I was yelling at my trainer every day about building butt cheeks back. As one of my teammates said, keep it up, Brie, you're working your ass on. Oh, that's funny. So you actually discovered like the shape of your body underlying kind of the layer of fat that's so common. Yeah. There. Yeah. And I'd been so quad dominant as a volleyball player that I really wasn't activating my glutes, which are a huge tool to pushing a bobsled that sleds over 400 pounds and you're accelerating it from a standstill. And not only that, you have to keep accelerating downhill. So top end speed is really critical too. And uh, so the big thing is I think my trainer kind of looked at my lady fat deposits, you know, the typical triceps, hips, and said, okay, we're, let's try keto to see if we can adapt those hormones. And then, uh, and then I won the big prize of uh, I ended up uh, postmenopausal in my estrogen levels um, throughout the entire uh, actually training season and bobsled season. Now, you did that on purpose, though, for performance, yes. right? Right, because as a female, like the whole goal was actually to get rid of our cycles because it's proven that as a female, when you're on your cycle, you're not quite as strong or as explosive. And if you can keep that consistent as well as, you know, get the right, it's not as necessarily, I mean, if you can increase testosterone, great, but it was more about decreasing estrogen. It's not like my my testosterone jumped up a whole lot, but estrogen plummeted, which was, it was awesome because then I could consistently train and really keep track of my body and how the food was affecting it. That's some serious biohacking. I mean, you actively <laughs> took control of what in most people that they assume is a just a, something that happens to their body that they have no control over. So you use nutrition, but not drugs to change no. your hormones. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy what, uh, you know, carbs and, uh, you know, it kind of goes to show what, what a drug almost that carbs and sugar can be because after our, uh, I always call it the post apocalyptic like after our Olympic trials, um, of course it was like, you know, you had such a buildup, so much adrenaline and then this huge letdown. And so, uh, as I say, I had a very Merry Christmas and that's when my cycle came back. So now I've kind of found that if I, if say I eat a higher carbohydrate diet for more than a week, that's when my cycle will come back. And I know then if I, if I go back into ketosis that I can, um, keep things pretty regulated. It's a fascinating thing to find yourself in control of. It's got to be fascinating. My first book was about 
fertility and what do you do oh, for men right. and women? So I, I've looked a lot at, at these things and my wife does uh, coaching for people internationally around fertility and how to have healthier kids during pregnancy and before pregnancy and all that. So our dinner table conversations are oftentimes around hormones fluctuating and things like that, trying to figure out some strange corner case. Yeah. But a lot of the, the bulletproof, uh, the women in the bulletproof forums are maybe recovering from a time when they did something like what you did, or they went to become you know, fitness competitors and lost normal regulation of their hormones. And then they end up going on the bulletproof diet in order to just have enough raw fat in order to build the hormone levels back up and to deal right. with adrenal fatigue and all. Were you concerned about those things when you kind of did this pretty aggressive, like taking over your hormones? Yeah, you know, it's all in the name of performance. And for me, I knew that I had nothing to lose because of hip surgery, because of where I'd end up ranking on the team. It was all in. And the beauty of our training group um, was that, you know, when you find that that mentor, that person in your life, our coach, Stu McMillan, that you trust with everything. And so at that point, it's a working back and forth relationship. Hey, let's try this. Are you down? Yeah, let's try it. And, uh, and you just, you know, kind of when, when you're vibing with the universe and everything else had just been working out so well that, you know, any experiment or idea that came up, I knew if I was excited about it, that it was definitely something to try. And I've always been jealous, jealous of other female athletes and Bobson's testosterone levels, you know, cause the, you know, the girl, it's hard not to, when you're training with people that can squat twice as much as you, and I still got up to almost 300 pounds squat, but it's, it's tough you know, when you're surrounded by the strongest and the fastest in the world. And so at that point, it's all about you're buying in and you're living it. And so every day is an experiment and a test to see how much you can get out of your body and that and how much you can trust your body. So you had testosterone envy. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Freud would love something, uh, some kind of comment around that. <laughs> <laughs> that's my bag is dishing out accidentally accidental innuendos <laughs> no, it, it's kind of funny but but you know you're looking at like you know they can squat more than me so i, I want to change my hormones um that is you know it, it's enlightening that you said it's all about performance now you weren't too concerned and, and i've i've chatted with other olympic athletes and when you interview um, olympic athletes um in fact this wasn't me i'm trying to remember the researcher someone asked the question of you know if you could do what, what it took to be the very best in the world, but you would die in five years, would you do it? Most Olympians were like, oh yeah, <laughs> would you? <laughs> like if you knew that you could dominate your sport for five years, but after that, like you're going to go downhill very fast and die, would you yeah. do it? You know what's crazy is coming from a surgery and having felt like I lost everything and really learning so much about myself in the process of coming back, um, it was, it just, I realized it was all about balance. And so I... Um, it's hard because it might not cater to winning, but at the same time, I learned so much about the world and my spirituality and myself and recognizing that there are bigger things out there, knowing that that's what I want. And I mean, even at the Olympics, I'm there announcing for NBC, but admittedly would have traded it all to get in that damn sled and race in that <laughs> race, you know, because you can't help it. It's just it's so deep that that drive to compete, but also. I think the key as a human is recognizing the balance factor of, you know, and thinking, okay, I, you know, I'm here for a purpose and I want to learn as much as I can for as long as I can. And a medal around my neck isn't going to necessarily set me up for the rest of my life. I know a lot of very depressed gold medalists 
yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so it's just a matter of, you know, your, your lesson in that phase in that moment. Uh, so that that wasn't a clear yes or no, but it sounds like formerly you would have, but but now you probably formerly I would yeah. Okay. Ask me two years ago, absolutely. Now, no, no. There's there's it's all you know about perspective. So, so the injury taught you something about your values. Yeah, yeah, and about my body. Like I had to get so in tune with my body that now, um, you know, coming back from that, I, at our second race at Olympic trials, I lost by a hundred. And a number like that can torture an athlete their whole life, you know, <laughs> like everything you think. We're like, oh, well, you know, if I had gotten a haircut, that might have been, you know, faster. Or if I had added a little weight in the sled, you know, it's it's wild how that can torture you. But I recognize that at, at the same time that showed me that I was there, but it might be time to move on and stop bashing my head around and find a healthier avenue for for competitive spirit. And it turns out that broadcasting, like live TV I had no idea anything could touch competition, but live TV is damn close. Wow. <laughs> like, the All adrenaline right. and the rush and staying in tune with who you are. Okay, now we're getting to a really cool conversation because I, I just recorded a, a podcast about uh, the Flow Genome Project with Stephen Kotler talking about the flow state. And he just. This is an administration. <laughs> this is what? We're done with cycle talk. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, we're going to go back to administration. Don't even worry about that. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, not that kind of flow state. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's awesome. You totally got me. I was like, wait. So uh, Stephen Kotler, uh, The Rise of Superman, is, is a really cool book, but he looks at basically extreme sports and what it does to the brain and what combinations of neurochemicals are there. And one of the things that can also produce a flow state is public speaking. And I'm like that. Like when I get up on stage and I'm like, I know that I'm helping the audience or even when I'm doing these podcasts, I I recognize that like almost 5 million downloads have happened. That's like seven entire lifetimes of content people have downloaded. Like what I do matters. Yeah. And so I, I want every word to count. And so I, I find myself kind of getting in a flow state just chatting with you because people are learning and like we're sharing knowledge. So did you feel like jazz that way when you were doing the commentating? The the second best thing I've found to standing on the line at the Olympics with that with the USA on your back and having this crowd deafening noise around you was my first live throw at the games. It was on the last race and I got to do the whole and we'll send it up to Bree at the start and then you know I say my bit back to you, Lee. And after that that was the closest I had felt to competing in the Olympics. And, and you're right. Now that I think about it, the more, the better I got at competing, I found this weird uh, obsession with karaoke. <laughs> and I cannot sing. I am a terrible singer. But I, God, give me that microphone and get me on a stage and I will just belt a song out. With, no matter how many blank stares I've got in the audience, I just love it. And, and you're right. It's that, I think it's that same chemical. That is hilarious. And I've never <laughs> before connected karaoke with flow state, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. It makes, it makes perfect sense. Um, All right. Let's go back to that other flow state. Just an abrupt transition there. Yeah. The, I was just thinking about this. Uh, the other thing that, that women are capable of is having kids. Right. 
Is that something that you're maybe thinking about someday? And did you consider that as part of like the training regimen, turning off your cycle and all the other sort of aggressive things that you've done with your body? Or is it sort of like it'll happen or it won't happen? You know, I've always just kind of, whenever I have a project, I'm so hell-bent on it that, you know, I'll have those passing thoughts of, huh, I wonder if this could affect things later. But, like, when I want something, there's nothing that's going to get in the, in the way. And so I feel like if at some point something in my body turns on that says, make a baby now, you know, at that point, then I'll, I'll do my best to, to turn my body into a safe haven, which I'm sure it's obviously not right now when you lose your cycle. But for my purposes right now, it's perfect. And so I've never, you know, I, I, I love kids, but it's just never really a, occurred to me to, to keep one. That sounded weird. <laughs> keep one. <laughs> Just buy it on eBay. No problem. Yeah. Now, it, it's funny. Maybe that says I shouldn't be a parent. <laughs> Not at all. But that, that attitude, though, that you know, I'll take care of it when it happens is, or if it happens or when I want it to happen, it, it's so common. And it was my wife and I were the same way. You know, when, when she was in her early 30s, she was diagnosed as being infertile. And we're like, oh, no, right. we'll reverse that. And so like that was why the Better Baby book came about. It was what we did to turn off her PCOS and then have kids at 39 and 42, um, despite, yeah. you know, some significant problems. So yeah, it's totally hackable for the yeah. vast majority of people. And uh, so I, I don't object to your position there. I'm sure some people <laughs> are probably like horrified because it's some sort of like natural thing that's supposed to happen. But it is natural and it can happen, but you sure have a lot more control than people think. And so yeah. it, kudos to you for just being like, I'm going to do what I'm doing now. And you know, I'm going to hopefully not burn any bridges, but you know, things will be as they'll be. Yeah. I've always been kind of, I'm, I'm pretty sure I do what I want. <laughs> you know, so. I think I saw that on South Park somewhere. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, oh, and something I really wanted to tell you about with those blood tests and, you know, with my estrogen levels oh, being yeah. like, postmenopausal and awesome, my cholesterol, and a lot of people talk about this, and the thing you hear a lot with a bulletproof diet is concern over, over cholesterol. And my first blood test, I think right when I started keto, um, my cholesterol was at 354, uh, it, which the training center, the, I, was, I got my blood work done at the Olympic Training Center, and they were freaking out. And everyone was like shaking me, saying, you're killing yourself. Um, but I discovered later that, uh, and this happened to a few of my other teammates, we had been, we termed it going hard, going so hard on the diet that uh, if you eat all the world's healthiest foods, what's one mineral that's common with them all is selenium. Selenium, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. And I had lost, it took me about four months and about half of the hair on my head gone before I realized that I was full selenium toxic because I'd been eating grass-fed liver every day, Brazil oh. nuts every day, cacao nibs is when it really, because I would come back when we started sliding, I'd come back from the track and I would just stuff my face with cacao nibs. And that's when it, like hair loss started trucking. And, and as a female, you always think, oh, I'm stressed. And I realized, no, I haven't been doing a damn thing different. Like how how could this be so bad? And then finally had that tested, and uh, levels were off the charts. And so even a wow. month after I stopped eating selenium-rich foods, um, it, it took a long time. <laughs> yeah, selenium, even Brazil nuts. I I don't put them in the green zone on the bulletproof diet. Not Ooh. because of excess selenium, it's because they're almost always moldy too. Like they even kind right. of smell it's got like that it. Weird taste, and I yeah. knew my gut instincts on Brazil nuts is I've never liked them because they've always got something that's a little bit off. Yeah, 
I, I would listen to that part of you. I I yeah. am a fan of supplementing selenium when you need it, but yeah. taking that food, no, I I would rather do the chocolate root. And yeah. I've never measured the levels in my chocolate of like how much selenium is in it versus other chocolate because it's it was kind of hard oh. to measure the world's chocolate supply. I don't know the selenium average for chocolate, but there's some in there for most chocolates depending yeah. on the soil. And the weird thing about Brazil nuts, like the trees have very, very deep roots. So they go way into the earth's crust and bring up other weird minerals. I think I read something about cadmium or some other isotopes. And yeah, I'm a little skeptical on Brazil nuts as being like, you know, as Whoa. cool as like hazelnuts or something. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely, I mean, it was only supposed to be like four a night, but then you're a little bit hungry, you have a few extra, you do that for three or four months, and pretty soon your hair is gone. Luckily, I had a lot to begin with, but uh, and what was funny is like when you're so focused on something, for four months, I just kept telling myself, we'll deal with it after Olympic trials, we'll figure it out later. Yeah, and I'm sure there was probably some cortisol involved, but that's a little scary, especially for a woman. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 42, everyone, <laughs> all the guys on both sides of my family are like bald, my dad, my, all my yeah. grandfathers, I'm like, I still have like there's no gap up here and I'm pretty stoked on that. And I'm like managing my nutrition as best I can and, you know, taking yeah. my supplements and, and all, but I, I think ketosis is probably helping keeping hormones where they should be. Yeah. Well, let, let's chat a little bit more about this mental thing. Cause I'm, I'm kind of stoked on uh, the fact that we can just go there. So we've talked about what you ate and, yeah, and you know, about some hormone levels and all that stuff, but what about what's going on up here in your head? What, what's your, like, do you have a mantra or do you have some sort of mental training regimen that goes with the physical training? Yeah. Um, and this was really cool actually, because my whole kind of rebuilding of self, a lot of that is training that recording in your mind, you know, trying to get all of those thoughts that over years you start to deeply believe in the deep recesses, the lizard part of your brain. Um, but they can be trained, you know, just like anything else. And so for a lot of me, it was training the recording of my head. You know, I live so much in my brain. Like it's like the, the wheels and the squirrels are constantly running in there. And so um, for me, it was just changing thought patterns. And a technique that I used for that was uh, it, during wherever I was staying at the time or training, I'd have little cards with some key word that I wanted to remember and focus on, you know, as far as my thought patterns go. And, uh, and it was crazy to figure out that, that I'm in control of my thoughts. Everyone thinks that they're a victim to their emotions, you know, like, oh, I feel this way and now I'm so depressed, give me some chocolate, you know, and recognizing <laughs> that you are, you can make a choice about how that emotion dictates your thoughts and your behavior. And um, meditation for me unlocked so much, not just with like with my mental state, but performance. And everything just like started falling in my lap when I would make sure that I'd meditate every day in the morning when my head was clear and just kind of, you know, I'd set an intention and try and go at least just in just 20 minutes. And, and it was wild how just the, the growth that came out of that, um, you know, and finding that, that zone, you know, being in the zone, you know, they always talk about it with athletes, but this, it's the same with mental performance. I had to be in the zone at the Olympics. You know, you put a right. microphone on me and I can't, you know, just be tired. And so it's all, it's all the same thing. What kind of meditation, like what flavor do you do? <laughs> uh, well, so when I really found myself broken in bobsled, I made a last minute decision and followed a shaman to Bali. <laughs> oh, you did the shaman thing. Listen <laughs> did to you. did the shaman thing. Did you do ayahuasca uh, and all that? Although they don't really uh, have that in Bali. Did they have it there? I, I, 
I don't have, I was just following. I met other shamans and uh -huh. I went to all these like Balinese ceremonies and I really got to get in the thick of it and, um, and watch amazing things happen. And so, you know, my technique is just sitting cross-legged and, you know, tucking my chin a bit and, and, you know, kind of looking towards the center, you know, looking towards that third eye and then watching colors, like I said, and I learned on my own to set an intention beforehand and then let it all go and uh and just try and sit and focus on love like you know how you can feel when you're really vibing you can feel like a glow in your heart yeah. and i would just kind of focus on that glow and uh and it's amazing what that does for your day and how and how it sets you up and athletically too i mean my last two races are olympic trials actually oh, it's weren't my last races anyway um i felt the best i've ever felt I was so excited the race and I pushed the best I ever pushed I drove the best I'd ever driven and then came up you know and came up short and you know and at first I thought this is so unfair how can everything land in my lap and this one thing not work and then I finally figured out oh well maybe this is going somewhere and then I got a call from NBC and I realized okay we're going somewhere <laughs> Uh, I think the life of a commentator is probably less harsh on your body than the life of, you know, five G's to your skull all the time. Yeah, Just it's not something you should make a career out of. And man, I mean, I've learned so much, but 12 years is, uh, thank goodness for the bulletproof diet. I was so scared that I would be, you know, like I was afraid, you know, normally if we had done this podcast a few weeks after the Olympics, I might not even remember <laughs> what had happened. So, so yay for bulletproof. I'm, I'm grateful that it's worked for you and that yeah. you just told me about that because it kind of did the same things for me. And I, was, I wasn't sure when I started sharing the stuff that it would work the way it works for everyone who tries it. And I guess it doesn't work for everyone, but it works for an awful lot of people. So thank you. Yeah. What, what do you do differently before you, like, before you get in the bobsled versus before you go on camera? Like, like what, <laughs> what does your game day prep look like? What, what's the difference for those two, those two arenas? Yeah. Um, still honing it. I mean, because I, you know, for being just an, I'm 33 years old and all I've known is being an athlete. And so I've got that performance so honed in that, uh, for a while, it, it was the same thing. I was sitting in the announcing booth with my bulletproof coffee, and that actually almost made bobsled. It was weird being bulletproof bobsledding. It was almost I was too sharp for it because you got to go by feel, you got to go by gut instinct. And when you had too much time to think, as I suddenly found myself having, I had to work backwards from all that awareness and just kind of dull it down. And so now announcing, you know, I'm still kind of going with the same. It, it's all high performance, you know. So I've got um, the bulletproof coffee. I've got my protein shake, and uh, and go from there. And for me, I think I'm finding that like everyone's kind of got their like feel. Like, you know, if you've got a spirit animal, you've got your spirit food. <laughs> and for <laughs> me, it seems to be sweet potatoes. Like if I have some sweet potatoes before, that seems to give me a lot. Um, of edge, but it's got to be in the right balance of ketosis. So other than that being making sure that I'm in ketosis, then I feel really, really sharp. Um, okay, so you're, you're balancing that you're getting just enough carbs where you're still mostly in ketosis, or at least you've got the ketones left and you're burning glucose and ketones at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've been experimenting with going out of ketosis. I have this blood glucose meter somewhere here on my desk that also measures ketones in blood. Oh, and cool. I find that as long as I have the brain octane oil, which goes straight to ketones, the way it breaks down in your metabolism, I can eat like 150 grams of carbs 
and I don't get hypoglycemia. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not in ketosis, but as long as I'm putting brain octane on them or I'm doing uh, bulletproof coffee in the morning, yeah, that I still maintain the mental focus as much as I want. So my uh, amount of acceptable carbs goes up. And of course you get water weight when you eat carbs. So you get a little yeah. bit of puffiness, but uh, it, it's interesting because it's inconvenient to be in ketosis all the time, especially like when right. I go to China. I'm like, okay, I'm probably going <laughs> to eat like white rice and I'm going to carry my own butter. And just the food quality that I found in China, like grass-fed beef, no way. And yeah. I'm just not going to eat industrial meat because I always don't feel good when I eat that. And I want to feel good usually when I'm on the road. So have you experimented with having more carbs but making sure that you still have enough ketones to, to focus? Um, something that I've been toying with, um, as of late via something I ran across with Tim Ferriss online was playing with cinnamon to try and control the blood sugar a little bit. And so now, uh, for the last couple of weeks, I'll drink, I make myself a little hot cinnamon beverage. Like I'll dump a ton of cinnamon in a glass, pour some hot water over it, um, add some maybe heavy whipping cream or almond milk and a little stevia and have that before a meal and see, you know, there how it affects, like if I want to have extra extra veggies, but it's hard because um, I'm super thrifty, so I use minimal amounts of MCT oil just because to me that stuff is gold. So yeah. you're right though, but I've also learned the value in, in nutrition and investing in yourself. So I I will say right now that I'll try using more well, what, what MCT I do oil. This? I'll, I'll send you some brain octane because <laughs> it's about three times more, three times stronger than normal MCT oil. And Absolutely. yeah, it, it's kind of a big difference because when you get just just the the one fatty acid that we use in that versus MCT, which can have up to four different lengths, it goes to ketones faster and better. So it, oh, wow. it's basically 18 times stronger than coconut oil versus MCT oil, which is about six times stronger. So oh. um, I'll, I'll just send you some, I'll get your address. And I, I just want to, I just want to know if you can keep your mental edge if you eat more sweet potatoes and you just have yeah. to promise to email me. That's all I want. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, that's a great exp And what I'll do is I'll kick it off with like another, like a week of super ketosis, no more yeah. than 30 grams of carbs a day. And so that way I'll know, cause then you can feel when you have a carb after that, you, you feel that kind of the rush in, in yeah. your bloodstream. And so it'll be, that'll be really fun to toy with actually. And especially because I've got so many, I got really good at post-workout meals between like developing recipes for plantain pancakes and sweet potato uh, puddings and stuff. Like to me, everything can be dessert. Oh yeah. When you <laughs> yeah. do it right. Like when you have yeah. enough fat, everything tastes good, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that'll be a really fun experiment. All right. I'm, uh, I'm stoked on that. And uh, please make sure I have your shipping address when we're done. Just email okay. it to me and we'll, yeah. we'll give you the experimental, uh, experimental stuff. <laughs> yeah. right. we're, we're coming up on the end of the show, but there's a question and you're probably expecting it. But top three recommendations for people who want to kick more ass. So not Whoa. just as an Olympian, but just from your whole life, all of the lessons you've learned, if you could share three of them with the world for people who want to perform better, what are they? Yeah. Um, is, uh, get in tune with your body. Feel good. First thing is do what it takes to feel good and in the right way, you know, just start, start tapping and experimenting and, and finding your ways that you feel good, mind, body, spirit. 
Um, second thing, just try bulletproof coffee. I mean, everyone listening, of course, <laughs> this is redundant because uh, I came back to our trials and I looked, the transformation was so drastic that all of our coaches went to our trainer and said, what are you doing? And they all got on bulletproof coffee. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, first things first, just play with some, um, some intermittent fasting. And in that, you know, the broader sense there is, is play, you know, be, be willing to experiment with your body and, and see what fuels you. Um, and the third thing is compression socks. <laughs> <laughs> what is up with that? That's, that's a new one after more than a hundred episodes. All right. Tell me more about compression socks and why I, I should am, care. I'm absolutely obsessed with compression socks <laughs> and, uh, and I have been since the last Olympics. And when you travel a ton, like, you know, as an athlete, you have to do that agonizing first workout after a 10 hour flight to try and, sh you know, it's called a shakeout. And the difference when I wear compression socks is on believable and you have to get really good ones you can't just you can't go on amazon and buy the cheapest ones they should be around fifty dollars because they have to be graduated compression because if it's the same compression throughout the sock it actually does the reverse and it pulls the blood around your ankles so really good compression socks and especially for people that sit at a desk all day i got i had my dad get some some good ones and or if you're on your feet like you come home and you're so much more refreshed. I, I come back from a workout. Sometimes I train in them because they have different ones for, for training as well. And, but immediately like post-workout compression socks are on. And for me, it, it makes a huge difference. It looks, I even have ones without toes and you can wear sandals with them and it looks weird, but. Do they have compression socks like with a seam up the back and things like that? <laughs> yeah, no, maybe that'll, <laughs> that'll be my next, uh, I'll, I'll make sexy compression socks. <laughs> don't, don't, there, there's, after that comment, there's probably demand for them. Uh, <laughs> that is so intriguing because I've experimented with compression socks oh, and yeah. I've, got these size 16 feet. They're like, oh, wow. my mother was invited to the, to be an Olympic swimmer because she has flippers too. Right. And yeah. the, the problem is that, um, the mental, the, the compression socks like squeeze my feet until they like fold sideways. So I'm so intrigued that they make $50, like high end graduated ones. I didn't know that. Cause I just bought mine at Walgreens. So, well, and you know what you need is what? I have, um, I think EC3D is a Canadian company that mm -hmm. gave me some, um, that I've been wearing. They make a toeless one. Oh, cool. All right. I and totally so that would be these. perfect for you. Um, yeah, I, it would be really awkward. Like if I fumbled around to show you my feet right now, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> feel free, but yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll have to, I'll, I'll find them and send you the link because especially for your foot size, that makes that a non-issue. Cause yeah, those things would be so uncomfortable, but, uh, but high end, you have to go classy okay. when it comes to compression socks. <laughs> All right. And I'll, we'll put the link that you send me into the show notes as well. So people can check it out on, on yeah. Exact. Uh, Brie, that is the most unexpected top three I've ever heard, and it's so super cool. So, uh, wow, never have I would ever have predicted that toe socks would make this list. <laughs> Sweet. Now, where can people uh, find out more about you? Like, what, do you want them to to go anywhere to like follow you on Twitter or anything like that? Uh, yeah, Twitter at Breeshaf, uh, B R E E S C H A A F, um, and uh, and I try and keep things like my social media rules are. It either needs to be uh, for a good cause or it needs to be funny. Otherwise, it's not going on there. <laughs> you know, don't bother the airwaves with it. 
Um, and so I, for a long time, I blogged for teamusa.org. Those are still on there. And I did one quick one for Entertainment Weekly. But uh, I think it's time to, to grow up, move on from athletics and set up my own blog because I'm doing so many kitchen experiments and I document them for myself. It'd be fun to document them for everyone else, too. And there, and there won't be tons of photos of food, food on there. It'll go straight to the recipe. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, keeping social media uh, where it's constructive is, is an ongoing challenge. So It's not a diary. It's not a damn diary. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's work, but it's fun as long as you know it's helping yeah. people. And recipes, the, the good ones that make you feel good, yeah, those work. Yeah. Three, thanks again for being on the show. I, I totally appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I'm, I'm actually kind of touched just to hear that Bulletproof Coffee like did that that feel that good right like that because that that's why I kind of lead with it is I just want people to feel really good once so they'll work towards it like yeah. you said play with it so yeah. you you totally like emulate this stuff and you you get it yeah. and I appreciate that yeah sustained energy all right well thanks again thank you so much everyone listening if you've enjoyed this show please do me the favor of going on iTunes and telling other people that you like it by give, leaving us a good rating and if you haven't checked out the Bulletproof forums yet, now might be a good time. Check out forum.bulletproofexec.com to get in on the discussion about the things we just talked about. It's a really good place to just take the things you heard here a little bit further and learn from some people who are super bulletproof. Have an awesome day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.